Welcome to Season 6 of the Fireman Trainers Podcast, Episode 13, published on November 28th, 2023. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody in the United States there. Um, it was last week, forgot to say that, but happy Thanksgiving this week, I belated. it. We're part of the ConcealedCarry.com network of podcasts, and in this episode, we'll talk with Jake Wyskirchkin about mental health. Help us help more instructors by giving us a five-star review, your favorite podcast app. This helps other instructors find us and the valuable information that we have available to them. So sit back, relax for another interesting episode that will help you as a trainer and instructor. This episode is also brought to you by friends at the FTA, the Farmers Trainers Association. Visit their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage they offer and their competitive pricing. All certified instructors can apply for FTA coverage. Remember, for listening to this podcast, you can get 10% off in your policy by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is brought to you by Manus X. I've been a longtime Manus user from their original Manus X to the new Manus X10 that came out with a couple of years ago, and now excited about their most recent product, Manus Blackbeard X. The Manus Blackbeard X combines the Manus 10 and the Manus Blackbeard system into one platform for the AR-15. It unleashes a completely new capability with in-depth dynamic shooting analysis, including motion-based analysis and multi-target engagement, something no one has done before. Manus Blackbeard X connects to your smartphone via Bluetooth and can easily download the Manus X application for Android and iOS. The Manus X application gives you history on all your previous sessions, as well as new drills for the modern sporting rifle. Manus X changed the way I train, and I think you'll find the Manus Blackbeard X is a great training aid for yourself and your students. Check out Manus X for more information on their Manus products, including the new Manus Blackbeard systems. That is ManusX.com. We bring this podcast support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Today, we're joined by Jake Wyskirchkin from Walk to Talk America. Welcome, Jake, and thank you for making time to come on our podcast. I appreciate it, Rob. This is this is good. I like these things. Yeah, previously, we've had uh, Mike Sedoni on, but we've got the other founder of Walk to Talk America, so we're very grateful for having you on. And before we jump into our questions uh, today, can you give our listeners a little bit about what Jake does uh, with uh, mental health in general? Yeah, the whole uh, why are you even on this show question, right? Uh, so mm-hmm. by trade, I'm a marriage and family therapist. I'm licensed in the state of Nevada, national certified counselor. And uh, here in northern Nevada, where I live and have uh, been raised, uh, and I'm a fifth generation Renoite, I own and operate an outpatient counseling practice called Zephyr Wellness. And we do talk therapy. So I'm a counselor. I, I do talk therapy. And then as far as walk the talk goes, uh, I did not help found it, but I was an early adopter. As they said, I joined up with Mike in 2019. Uh, he founded the organization in 2018. And uh, to my knowledge, I am the first gun owning practitioner who decided to come out of the closet and make a big deal out of how you can do both. And they're not mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Mike's talked uh, very highly about you previous podcast, and that's where he said I had to get you to come on. And it, you're not a necessarily a big gun person, um, although you do own. Uh, you know, unlike uh, you know Mike and myself, who we do quite a bit of stuff in the gun industry, um, you do quite a bit in the mental health industry. So that's uh, be very interesting to see how we do with the questions today. Yeah. The interesting thing about that is I've been a lifelong gun owner and um, raised in a family full of cops, but the backstory loosely is that they were always a tool for a job. So, you know, either it was police work or we went out hunting and that was pretty much the extent of it. I was never really into the culture and the community until I joined up with WTTA and being around those guys and going to several of the conventions and trade shows and various activities. I've, I've plugged in with a lot of the the community and I've become very, very good friends with a lot of folks I really look up to now. And I've, uh, I've changed my mind on a lot of stuff. I've had a lot of misconceptions, uh, dissolved. And I now consider myself a very, very strong 2A advocate. Uh, I have gotten more into guns and shooting and, uh, defense. And my wife has now joined up and she's made some friends and also recruited some people in the community. So where I am a concealed carrier, I have been for a little over 10 years now. And um, I am I'm a very, very proud member of this firearms community. It's it's very cool. It's very diverse. I love everybody. And, you know, it's clicky like any demographic. You're going to get the cross section of humanity. But but by and large, what I like about 
the firearms community is how really receptive everybody is to teaching everybody else who may be new to it and also uh how we really have one thing in common irrespective of you know political stripe or uh, race or gender or religion is that you know freedom is important and defending our rights is is just as important so i, I appreciate that and i i've made a lot of friends i'm very very happy about that it, gun culture is very inclusive to those that want to want to be in the gun culture is uh, i would say that universally um always been welcomed and uh it's uh, good to hear. It's uh, just not on my side of the Mississippi. It's all the way over there on the western side of the Mississippi, too. So great. Yes, sir. Well, hey, Jake, first question, um, because you are a clinician. Can you explain what um, a clinician is uh, you know, from the mental health side of things? Yeah, I think what's important to know is that we have many uh, you know, what we call post-nominal letters, the, the, the letters that come after your name, right? And there's different licenses and professional stripes that you can be a part of. We think immediately of psychiatry. That's the, the medical doctor who pursues a, a path in psychiatry. And they often, they can, they can certainly do counseling, but usually these days they do what's called medication management. So they, they can prescribe medication to people who are suffering psychiatric ailments. We also have uh, psychologists and that's a doctoral level degree. Psychologists, by and large, also do psychotherapy, but they can also do testing. So psychometric testing to see if you have one or more ailments, they can administer those tests. And then down below that, we have master's level clinicians that take the form of professional counselor, clinical social worker, marriage and family therapist, which is what I am, uh, uh, licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor. And then there's some bachelor's level stuff like alcohol and drug counselor, peer support, so broadly, we can lump everybody into clinician. And then outside of that, we have the different medical professions like dentistry and pediatrics and so on and so forth. And I think under that umbrella, it's important for all practitioners to be workably competent with their language with regard to firearms culture, especially these days with the rise and prevalence of mental illness as it is across you know, the Western culture writ large. We want to make sure that our practitioners across the board understand that when you have a firearms owner in front of you who may be suffering from some psychiatric ailment depression anxiety whatnot that we don't scare them off with clunky fumbling awkward clumsy uh, ignorant language and chase them away from services because if we chase them away from services they get worse so at its core walk the talk america is a suicide prevention organization but what we really want to do is get upstream from that so people don't end up ideating suicide they get the help they need they get the resources and those resources can be in the form of professional counseling obviously in the office but they can also take the form of podcasts and youtube videos and self-help books and all sorts of things that are you know, more arm's length and non-threatening that you can consume in your own home or workspaces and one of those things is I'm sure Mike has covered in previous podcasts is our free and anonymous mental health screenings on the website. And then I have a, a video series that I like to promote to people on emotional functioning, because if you know your emotions very well, then it puts you in charge of your decision making in life. So if you know what the environment is throwing at you and how you're feeling about it, you can navigate that with a little more competence and, and comfort. So I'll, I'll plug all that at the end. But that's what a practitioner is. That's what a clinician is. We're, you know, we usually were licensed by the state to do what we do, guaranteeing some minimum set of competence. And then we go forth and help people get better. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, it's uh, nice to kind of know and understand the broad spectrum of uh, clinicians that are out there and what some of them do and, and what other ones uh, also do from that standpoint. Uh, a quick question when it comes to treatment of people with mental mental health issues uh you know a lot of times unfortunately in the media we think of uh treatments as being you know sent to the, to the psychiatric hospital and you know being locked down and you know you, you, from the movies and everything that's kind of kind of the you know image that when people talk about treatment what is modern uh, uh psychological mental health treatment so people get a get an idea of that I think uh, I think that misconception, I hope at least, is largely dissolving as we move away from the the stigma of one flew over the cuckoo's nest and that kind of thing. But we still do have psychiatric hospitals, and that is the highest level of care that you can you can attain. So the way it usually works is somebody has an issue, and uh, we want to know what the least level of intrusiveness is that we can offer the person to help straighten them out, get them 
you know, on the right path and whatnot. So sometimes the least level of intrusiveness is just reading a book. And I, you know, like I alluded to earlier, podcasts, mm-hmm. whatnot, we can, we can learn a lot from that stuff. The next level of intrusiveness I would submit is either, uh, you know, taking some medication perhaps that alleviates your symptoms or come into the office and schedule an appointment, talk for an hour with a therapist and uh, learn some stuff as well. And that can take the form of individual therapy or couples counseling or family counseling, uh, whether your kid is suffering or you are, uh, it doesn't matter. You can come into the office and we can get you some help. And then it goes up from there. Sometimes we offer in-home services. Sometimes there's uh, you know, hosp- the partial hospitalization available or day treatment or intensive outpatient programs where you spend multiple hours a day, multiple days a week. So it all depends on the severity of the symptoms and how crippling it is in your life. But treatment can take a, a variety of, of interfaces. And I'd like to give a plug too for People who are non-licensed doesn't mean that they're incompetent. It just means that they haven't gone through the state you know, stamp of approval. So they, we might call those people coaches or consultants. They might be former licensees who just got tired of the licensing practice. They might not like to bill insurance or whatever. Or they might just be people seasoned in life who are very good at uh, dispensing wisdom and shepherding somebody else along their journey. And, and I think a lot of times the professional people with the, the degrees and the licenses tend to denigrate those who don't have it. And I don't. I I think that we as professionals need to not take ourselves quite too seriously because people have been healing one another for as long as mankind has been walking the earth. And our profession has only been around for a hundred years or so. So while we take the work very seriously, I don't think we should take ourselves very, very seriously thinking that we've cornered the market on the only way to get help is professional counseling or psychotherapy, but treatment, treatment can be anything. And as long as it meets you where you are and you get what you need out of it and you get better, great. You're treated. Yeah. The, as you were talking about the one thing that popped my mind is, is how many times does a young kid go and talk to their grandparents, grandma, grandpa about something. Right. And you know, what are they doing? They're lending us a sympathetic ear. And then going along and saying, Rob, I'll tell you what, have you ever thought about X and you go along like, no, I haven't. It's like, well, maybe, maybe the, the issue isn't, isn't this that you, you were focused on. Maybe it's something else and yeah, have that advice. You know, you don't talk to your parents because it's, you know, you, you, they're too close to the issue, but you talk to your grandparent because that grandparent's been around and seen it a few times. And that's where, you know, that would be a coach or, you know, somebody who's unlicensed, but definitely has uh, a lot of pearls of wisdom that can help somebody get through those uh, tough times. A hundred percent. And a lot of the times that those people take on different professional roles too. I mean, bartenders to barbers, uh, clergy for sure. You know, your pastor is always a, uh, usually, usually I should say a, a good ear. And what we would want to do is encourage those people in those situations to know their limitations, just like I know my limitations. I, I might have somebody in front of me who's not appropriate for my level of care, and my job is to be able to refer them out competently. So I have a lot of conversations with those types too. And what's what's been very interesting for me lately is I've been recruited and hired by some governmental and non-governmental agencies to to come in and give training to human resources staff and mid-level managers, upper-level management, because what we're seeing in the last, uh, I don't know, 10 to 15 years, and I, I probably blame Google for this because Google did the whole bring your your full self to work thing. It's like, no, bring <laughs> your work self to work, leave everything else at home. But, you know, people are coming to work, you know, showing up saying, you know, man, I'm, I've got this issue at home or I just had a collision in my auto, uh, my automobile. I don't know who talks like that. <laughs> I had a car accident and somebody got injured or my wife came down with cancer or, you know, my kids are really struggling in school. And, and they're they're expressing this in the hallways and it's rippling up the command chain. and those people don't know what to do with it, right? So I've been called in in recent years to give training on how to navigate that, how to meet people where they are, and then again, make proper referrals to care should that be the case. Uh, certainly workplace incidents and accidents are a part of that as well. And um, it's just it just seems like while the pendulum has swung from nobody talks about mental illness to everybody needs a therapist, along comes the the ability to talk about it a little bit more, which is nice. And you think that is probably a benefit greater, you know, overall to greater society. But by the same token, we're also encumbering a lot of people who are not necessarily equipped with the same skill set that I have, you know, having been gone through grad school and so forth. So being able to speak that into people's lives, I think is really useful too. And there's, there's ways to do that that aren't, that don't revolve going back to school. Right. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting. And as you know, I point out uh, to people, you know, when it comes to mental uh, health, uh, we all experience you know mental crisis from time to time. And, you know, it could be be somebody in school who gets you know who's trying to get that grade or trying to get that you know graduate and you know how how am i doing you know overall how am i going to be looked if i don't get a you know 4.0 on my you know test and things like that and anxiety from that standpoint as well as you know financial all of a sudden you get you know hit with a big bill um or you lose your job and you're trying to think okay how am i gonna go along and afford my car afford my house afford you know keep my you know keep my family fed those kind of questions it can be relationships and all these things have different ways of you know pushing our buttons and you know a friend calls you up and is going through a tough time you know again it's um you know it can push your buttons to where all of a sudden you know it throws you back into you know a time when you weren't you know doing too well and that's where knowing when and where to get help i think is really important and having the uh the walk to talk america the wtta.org slash love uh url or people can go along and take that and it's a free and anonymous uh uh, interview or a survey that'll go along and recommend some resources for you, you know, from, Hey, you're just mildly depressed to where you need to really see somebody, you know, about the depression and anxiety you have. And those are great resources, especially for firearm instructors, because, uh, you know, one of the reasons why I bring, keep bringing walk, talk America on, and this is the fourth time that either Mike or, uh, or this time Jake being on is because I think it's really important as instructors for us to be that, that, that the eyes and ears, you know, when somebody's having problems, maybe they shouldn't be around a gun. I'm not saying we got to rip it out of their hands, but maybe we should refer to them to a, you know, some mental health uh, counselor. And if they, you know, are having issues, we deserve it to the public to go along and also make sure that, you know, maybe we don't give them a concealed carry uh, certificate that class until they get some help and come back and they're in better sh shape and that's got all uh, forms and shapes when it comes to how you run your business but at the same time we as instructors have got to be able to look and look at the mirror ourselves in the morning and make sure that we're seeing the person we want to be and not somebody who's just going along and handing out paper like crazy so it leads me to my next question jake what are some of the danger signs you know at you know i just dribbled on there about being a fire instructor and things like that but as a fire instructor what should i be looking for if there are some you know general danger signs that maybe i should be referring them for treatment or maybe not um allowing them to be around you know firearms at that point i think one of the coolest things about being a an instructor is that like any customer service job you're around people a lot and you get really good at reading people and trusting your own instincts on who's doing well and who's not it's no different than running a retail store selling you know clothing or, or you know working a bowling alley or whatever if you're around people a lot you you get pretty good at dealing with people and i think that if i could you know after all i said about clinicians and whatnot if i could make everybody into junior clinicians i would because being able to navigate somebody's distresses when they're right in front of you is just so it's such a blessing to humanity to be able to to pull that off so as you're going through your you know, eight hour course for a concealed carry permit, or you're, you're doing some individual instruction, especially if you're doing individual instruction, or you got a class on intuitive defense or whatever you're doing. And you're around these people for several hours. I think what you want to look for is who's eagerly engaged. Um, and, you know, maybe there's some new people, they're a little nervous, they're insecure. That's fine. That's that comes with the territory, right? But looking beyond that, see if they're a little withdrawn, they're not really speaking up, eyes downcast. Um, maybe they, they look like they're spaced out and that could be indicative of anything going on. Right. But if you're in a firearms class, you better be paying attention. Yeah, this isn't, this isn't just some continuing education thing that I'm checking off so I can, you know, get my license. and have my eyes glaze over, learn about ethics for the 15th time this year. This is, this is really critical stuff. And if the participant is not fully engaged, I think that's a really good cue to sidle up to that person and ask them, Hey, you doing all right? Like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. I've been doing it a while and you just look like you're not really engaged and maybe they have a really good answer. Maybe they're super pensive or maybe they're hungry or maybe they're overcoming the flu. Who knows? Right. But maybe 
maybe they open up to you and go, man, you know, uh, got divorced in my mind because I've been fighting with my wife. Thank you so much for asking. Right. And all that, all it takes sometimes is just somebody honestly asking and being fully present with that individual and not in a passive cursory way. Like, how are you doing today? Like, Hey, you know, I noticed these things. Can you help me understand? And then they go, yeah, thank you for, for saying that I, I am struggling. And then you have a conversation with them off to the side, not in front of the whole class, obviously. And, um, and ask them like, is this a good time for you to really be carrying a gun? And maybe they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's going to pass. Don't worry about it. I just really appreciate you saying that. Or maybe they honestly say, you know what? I don't know. Well, now you got, you got a decision to make, right? And back to what you're saying about maybe you shouldn't be around guns. We don't want dot gov coming and telling us that we don't need to be around our guns. What we want to do is be personally accountable, not just to ourselves, but to each other. And I think that's where things like what Rob Pincus is doing with the gun pro pledge, uh, you know, it's a pledge of responsible ownership, PRO, uh, you and a couple of buddies download this form, you print it out, you sign it, you stick it in your safe, you all exchange, you know, the each other's forms or whatever. And that just is a, a subtle indicator that somebody else cares in your life. And maybe you can rely on that person in a time of crisis, go have a beer, talk it out. And maybe if it's really bad, that's the person you rely on to hand your guns over until you get through the crisis. Uh, Mike loves to tell a story about a guy he met who had Lyme disease and he had an agreement with his wife when when he starts getting really depressed, because apparently Lyme disease makes you depressed in certain uh, forms of it. Um, he had an agreement with his wife that she would just change the code on the safe or whatever it was. Now, we understand that there's state laws. I live in Nevada where we have a transfer law that doesn't allow transfers between individuals unless they're related by family or whatever. But, you know, there's state laws that prevent this kind of thing. So we would encourage in those situations, if you don't want to both become felons or you don't want to go through the background check process or there's not a gun shop around that can intake your your firearms, take something that's a, a working, operable part that's non-serialized. It's not going to get you in trouble with the law and and take that away, you know, like a like a bolt or a bolt carrier group or just take the slide, you know, something meaningful and significant. So if the, if the, the crisis hits, the person goes in their safe, they want to end their life and they go oh man i forgot I, you know i gave my slide to my buddy yes they could go down and buy another slide at the gun shop but what we're trying to do is put time and space between the impulsive feeling and the execution of the act and that often is enough to say don't do it right and that's that speaks to walk the talk america's cause a pause campaign where all we want to do is cause a pause uh sometimes that pause could be caused by a sticker on your Lockbox. I have uh, gun, my Guns and Mental Health podcast sticker here. By the way, we have a podcast too. It's called Guns and Mental Health. Um, mm -hmm. And I put those on my safes because I believe that irrespective of anything that is going to go on in my life, I believe that in that time, in that dark time, and I hope that I never end up there, but in that dark time, I would look at that and realize the large body of work that I've committed myself to. I wouldn't want to invalidate that by ending my life. So that would pause me. Another pause is a mechanical pause. You can lock your guns differently. You can change combos, all that stuff. But um, the idea is just to create time and space and separation. I think that's incumbent upon the community, the individuals in the community, to hold ourselves accountable. And when we do that, we don't need .gov stepping in to intervene on our behalf. We can do it ourselves. And uh, that, that requires relationship. If you have good relationship with other people, you can have that connectivity and that trust. So that's that's what I have to say about that is, uh, you know, we we do want to encourage that. And as instructors, push all that stuff. I mean, would it take me like two or three minutes just to say that work that in your slides in your class, you know, put that in your slide deck, talk about alternatives to storage uh, when you're when you're in a moment of need and then move on with the shooting part. <laughs> that's, mm -hmm. the, that's the fun part. Yeah, the one thing I would point out to instructors also, if you go to the Walk Talk America website, there is a uh, drop down for resources that you can go along and get a lot of resources. And what I do is I hand out some of these resources to people, not that I, not because I think a person in my class needs it, but because if I get a few people knowing what resources are available, they might be around a family member, you know, late at night or something else like that to where they can go along and help that person out. I'll never know who I've helped. All what I know is I've given them information and and helped them to become a little bit more educated on how they can help each other out. Because as a gun community, uh, we're terribly efficient at suicide. And that's where if we look after one another, we can uh, hopefully uh, turn that trend around 
to where instead of people taking their their own lives, that they actually go along and seek out help. And then they can become uh, advocates to say, hey, I was right where you were, you know, last year and I got help and look at and now I know, you know, how to how to get out of those dark places. There's a beautiful story, if I may jump in there, too, about uh, a guy named uh, Pete, uh, Peter Wakeham, who runs, uh, he owns and runs Carolina Custom Foam. And he had one of those incidents where he was in a very dark spot and he credits Walk the Talk America for normalizing the conversation about it and offering the idea of handing your guns off to somebody. And he reached out to Devin Perkins, who runs Kids for King, uh, Kids to Kings. And Devin was the guy to whom he transferred his guns uh, for a period of time until he got out of it. Now, Pete's in a much better place now. He's so much healthier. And both of those individuals are uh, like just amazing human beings. And I love them to pieces. Uh, but that's that's one incident of where we saved a life. And I'm really, really proud that I ran into another guy whose name escapes me. I, I didn't know him, but we uh, we encountered this guy at the USCCA Expo just a couple of months ago. And he told a very similar story. He says, without your guys' podcast and the work that you're doing, I wouldn't be here today. You saved my life. And um, it was it was just so touching to know that we are actually saving human lives because through the conversations that you have, one to the next, instructor to student, uh, friend to friend, we start to make this more acceptable. And I don't want to see the pendulum swing from, you know, don't talk about mental illness to everybody needs a therapist. Not everybody needs a therapist. Um, God, please don't come into my office if you don't need to. <laughs> but um, <laughs> if we can normalize the conversation, at least, then we don't get people clamming up when it gets bad. We can have them be more vulnerable. And this is why I love emotional functioning, too. As a dude who frequently sports some facial hair and looks like a linebacker, um, if I can talk about my feelings in front of a whiteboard in a video series and make it normal for other dudes to talk about feelings, then we all win. And we can all become more vulnerable because here's what's really cool about vulnerability. Through vulnerability, you gain intimacy. And with intimacy, you get better relationships and you get improved relationships with your spouses, your children, your coworkers, your subordinates at work, your superiors at work. Uh, so if you know your emotions really well and you're in tune with them, you can be honest about it and then seek help. And help often, I'm telling you, like more often than not, it doesn't mean come into my office. It means Go have a beer or a burger with somebody and and uh, and unload, right? And then you've established a really cool, vulnerable, intimate relationship with another human being upon whom you can rely when it happens again. Because in life it will happen again. So establish community, establish networks. It really, it really is good. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And you look at some of the suicide rates that are out there um you know there's 22 veterans a day that take their lives um you know police officers another uh demographic that take a lot a lot of their lives and as, again the one thing i always point out to people gun owners are horribly efficient at suicide because what are we using we're not using medicine we're not using a knife we're using something once we pull the trigger there's no way of putting that back in there and whatever it hits is going to do major damage to and those are all things that make it extremely lethal and something why we want to make sure that people know and understand um how to help each other out and make the gun community better i think that's important to point out that the firearm is the most efficient way you mentioned efficiency earlier most efficient way of taking your life so People who attempt with a firearm die 90% of the time. Uh, people who attempt with other means and don't succeed go on to die by another means that's not suicide 90% of the time. So if you survive a suicide attempt, chances are very, very high that you don't take your own life later. But with a firearm, you don't get that option because it is efficient and it does do the job. And I think what's important to point out, too, is you, know, you mentioned law enforcement. And I come from, a, like I said, a family full of cops. Uh, in our, we have two presentations on the Walk the Talk website that are designed to improve cultural competence for practitioners or really anybody who wants to to learn more. There's a counseling component, there's a firearms 101 component, and then there's a little bit of policy at the end. Uh, so instructors are free to take this course too and learn a little bit more about mental health. But the the part two course, uh, Brandon Castanelli, who's an officer and a therapist, he expressed that, uh, and I may get the stat wrong, but I think that in an average human's lifespan, you will face five critical incidents on average uh, that are, you know, outside the realm of typical coping. In a police officer's 20 or 25 year career, they'll experience 180 critical incidents. 
And if we generalize that to most other first responders, uh, EMS, uh, you know, doc- doctors who are on the front lines, you know, so that's all emergency medicine from EMTs to physicians, firefighters, you know, paramedics. So, and then you get into like my field, social workers who respond to horrible things at people's homes, uh, peer support workers, crisis line workers, dispatchers. They face a lot of critical incidents that most people don't face. And if you don't know how to deal with that efficiently and, and competently, you end up bottling it up. And what, what that creates is a, a stacking effect of sorts within the neurochemicals that are excreted from your brain, you know, the cortisol, the adrenaline, the epinephrine, the norepinephrine, serotonin. And when they don't have a place to go, they can actually physically deteriorate your body at a cellular level. So it's really important to, again, know your emotions, know what you're going through and seek help. And if that help comes professionally, great. But if not, then reach out to a friend. So we want to be mindful of the types of things that we go through on a daily basis and know whether we're off kilter so that we don't end up reaching for the most lethal tool in order to end our life and and what usually is a moment of fleeting distress that will pass uh you know there's all the this the sayings about you know don't don't make a permanent decision out of a temporary problem and all that stuff and those are great and all but they're also true you know the, the bumper sticker slogans are quite quite true so um i i emphasize that know yourself well know your network well know who you can rely on and turn to those people please turn to those people and then push through it because there's always another day um that's that's why we focus on the firearms community some other stats real quick before you ask your next question or um you know the the policymakers and i and i say this because walk the talk doesn't get into the policy realm too much but but people listening can and i think we need some good strong talking points to push back on some of the policies the policymakers will talk about gun violence and they'll lump in suicide numbers with gun violence the simple fact is that on average, about 61, 62% of all firearm deaths are suicides. Now, when you break that out, we end up with about 66 to 67 deaths per day by firearm suicide every day in America. And you contrast that with the most uh, gruesome mass shooting that America has ever seen, which is October 1st, 2017, Las Vegas, Nevada, my home state, Mandalay Bay Casino, Route 91 concert. Um, guy opened fire into a crowd and 59 people died. So the, the worst mass shooting in history, 59 people died, but every single day in America, we lose 67 people to suicide alone by firearm. That's where the efforts need to be. Not in finding the next mass shooter, not in stopping the next school shooter, but in mental health. And the reason we focus on mental health is not just because the numbers are bigger in suicide, but if we get met everybody mentally better then we probably will stop mass shooters and other mass perpetrators of violence because if they're well, they don't go do those things. So uh, we have to, we have to invert the the efforts and we have to put more money and policy efforts behind mental health and not gun rights restriction. It does. It just doesn't mm-hmm. pencil out. Yeah. Here's my next question for you, Jake. And, uh, as we're talking about, you know, having a support network and different things like that, I think that's really important, but I'm sure a lot of people out there are worried if I go along and, uh, and I just open up the phone book, if we got a phone book, if you Google, you know, mental health, um, and you find a mental health, uh, practitioner in your area, how do I know if they're going to go along, freak out if I tell them I've got guns? That's a great question. A lot of us in my profession are, you know, gun ignorant or anti-gun and, and that's too bad because for professionals like mental health clinicians who often boast about how non-judgmental they are and how they're all lifelong learners, uh, collectively, we really oftentimes are very rigid and we don't like changing our minds and we don't open ourselves up to, you know, the, the culture of America where a third of us own guns and half of us either own one or live with one. So it is a risk. And so to combat that, Walk the Talk is trying to build out a 50-state directory of firearms-friendly practitioners who have taken our courses, cleared their throats, raised their hands, and said, I want to be listed there. So you can go to our website and search the directory. We are still in the process of building that out. We have many states covered. But in the meantime, if you want to go to psychologytoday.com, for example, you can search and look for things like veteran-friendly. 
Veteran-friendly practitioners usually understand that there's guns on board. Um, if they work with first responders, that's another in, uh, indicator. Um, it's really hard to read between the lines sometimes on people's biographies because, again, a lot of us in our profession are trying to cast the net super wide to be all things to all people. Um, so it's a little hard to decipher. But those are two key things that usually stand out. If you're if somebody's willing to advertise themselves as working with veterans and first responders, pretty pretty safe bet that they're going to be able to work with a firearms owner. And and some things to consider too. We're not supposed to reach for the bat phone to dot gov <laughs> as our first line of defense when somebody says, "Yeah, I'm a uh, an active shooter and I like to go out plinking in the desert and I hunt and oh by the way I have anxiety and PTSD." Uh, we should not be calling the deputies to file a, a red flag or, you know, extreme risk protection order petition with the judge. Um, our first line of defense should be a higher level of care if you're really that critically in need. Um, I should also be talented enough to work my way into your head, so to speak, to re-regulate you before you leave my office and shore you up with a safety plan. It should not be to take your property. That makes no sense at all. It's totally out of scope with what we should be doing. So have some confidence that most of us, by and large, even if we're gun ignorant or gun inco- you know, incompetent, or even if we're anti-gun, the odds of us trying to encourage you to get red flagged are very, very, very low, very low. Now, the practitioner may say some stuff that is off-putting and you never want to go back to that person, but the odds of you landing in some realm where your gun rights are taken away is, I mean, vanishingly rare. So please, you know, hear me when I say there's a difference between fearing help because you think everybody's going to take your guns versus finding somebody you can resonate with because they're more competent. Uh, if you need help, go get help. Uh, try as hard as you can to find somebody who's, you're going to bounce things off of and not be judged. Uh, but don't, please don't let the fear get in the way. Um, that being said, Colorado recently expanded its red flag law to include mental health practitioners, educators, school nurses. I mean, it's it's really broad now who could file a petition in Colorado. And I think that these ERPO laws have had a chilling effect on people seeking care. And we know that now from some research out of New York State that uh, suggests at least 9% of gun owners would avoid care if they thought their gun rights were, were in jeopardy which far the, the numbers far outstrip anybody who could ever be saved by those things. So we do need to push back and re- help legislators recognize the unintended consequences of some of these policy decisions. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's really important for us as citizens to educate those politicians, even, you know, even if uh, you've got somebody saying we got to have more um, extreme risk protection orders, red flag laws, realize what they do and what the unintended consequences are. Uh, for it, because if somebody truly is talking about suicide, uh, there you know most professionals are bound by professional by the uh, professional code of conduct to report them for it. If yeah, they are just and, and get them to the hospital, right? Not not yeah. call call the cops to get their property seized. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think one of the biggest uh, challenges I always point out to people where they say we got to have more of these, um, you know, red flag laws is okay. Red flag laws deal with taking guns doesn't do anything to really get help for that person so are we trying to get the person are we trying to get them help or are we trying to get them uh or trying to take their guns because if you take their guns and you're successful in doing that and they're still suicidal guess what they'll find something else you know whether that's a knife probably just made them more desperate too yeah Mm-hmm. Exactly. When you go along and start looking, you know, again, when Mike uh, Sedoni was on talking about, you know, you got veterans and they went through, you know, the entire, you know, war when they were in their rifle, their gun was their safety blanket. You know, they didn't go anywhere without their gun. And all of a sudden you take it, all of a sudden you've taken their safety blanket, which could turn, the, which could, you know, speed up their downward spiral, spiral into me- mental health and issues and different things like that. You know, one of the things we often promote too in our trainings is, you know, when we're talking to other clinicians, we say, if you got somebody with a hobby that they enjoy and that helps alleviate whatever distress they're in, we prescribe them to do that more. If you like going, you know, shooting, you should prescribe shooting just the same as if you like playing the guitar, we should say, maybe you should pick up the guitar a little more often. 
And because clinicians often are gun ignorant, they don't know about the culture. They don't even use that as they don't even know that's an option. Right. So imagine going to your therapist and <laughs> seeing I got anxiety and I don't shoot as much as I'd like to, but there's a pistol league in town. I'd really like to go to the therapist because we'll go do it. Go shoot more. That'd be awesome, right? You come home, you're like, hey, honey, sorry, a therapist ordered me to go buy more ammo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. exactly. But, you know, sometimes, I mean, you know, know, I've seen it, you know, people are told they need to spend more time, you know, with their spouse, you know, from a marriage counseling standpoint, or they need to go along and, you know, go out and, you know, spend more time with kids or, you know, what my wife tells me all the time, I got to get out from behind the computer because I sit behind the computer all day long. And, and you know what? I don't disagree with her. You know, I spend a lot of times behind there and uh, there are times I just got to walk away and uh, let my eyes focus on something else for a while and clear my head. No kidding. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, th- while we're on the subject do things that make you happy, you know, if you're listening and you're maybe in that spot, because I, I mean, I've been doing this long enough. I, the listening audience usually spans a, great broad demographic of people and if you're in that spot and you're listening to this going man i'm hearing a therapist who's a gun owner talking about i need to go shooting more what else could i do you know i used to do fill in the blank right there's a lot of these used is when you get into a depressive state or you're dissatisfied with your career whatever's going on right you stare at the computer too much like i also do what did you used to do and go do that i'm a you know i've been homebrewing for a really long time and there was a period of my life here recently where i just wasn't brewing and I wasn't happy. I started brewing again a few weeks ago and man, it makes me feel good. I can't drink all the beer I brew, so I give it away. But it's like I I had to get back into the things and winter sucks because it's not baseball season. Uh, So, you know, I got to just wait till spring. But in the meantime, maybe I go in the backyard and play catch with my kids. You know, that's that's something that's edifying and and brings me a lot of joy. So, you know, we're we're obviously focused on shooting right now, but it could be anything, you know, so figure out what it is and then make time for it. Dedicate yourself, commit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, one of the things that's not exactly shooting, but shooting related that I do, uh, especially in the winter time is I go reload. If anybody's reloaded, you know, that oh, it's, yeah. a, it's just, you know, a whole lot of repetitive motions for it. You know, you go along, put a new case up, you pull the lever, you, you know, load powder into it, you put the bullet on it, you just, you know, keep doing it. And before you know it, you spend a couple of hours and you start feeling good because you got this big bucket full of, of loaded ammo, which then guess what? That means you can go, you can go back to the range and shoot more. So it's uh, good like that. That is, that is a great thing because it incorporates so many different little micro skills. I mean, it's precise. You have to pay attention. You can't get sloppy with it. And then at the end, it's like mowing the lawn. You look back and you're like, yeah, I see where I, I was. <laughs> you got a bucket full of ammo. You're like, I did that. <laughs> like, this is a sense of mm-hmm. accomplishment. Yep, definitely. So that's my, that's some of my uh, ways out and everything else like that. So, well, Jake, we've covered a lot of ground today uh and hopefully our listeners take away some of the things about what you know clinical mental health uh, is and isn't and also to you know keep their eyes open because it might be a family member a friend or a student that if they can help uh, point them in the right direction they can change the trajectory of their life and that's um you know one of the things i always talk to my students about is it you don't have to be the person who's has the problem you just need to remember these resources are available and it's not going to affect their gun rights if they get help early. Yeah. And I'm going to unload a whole bunch of resources on you here at the end. Uh, I don't know if you want me to do that now. I certainly can, but well, let, 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 let's ask the, the question of the season six okay. and then you can unload yeah. it after that. Okay. What do you want? What do you want to be remembered for when you pass away? What do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've considered this for a really long time. It's going to sound a little, maybe a little cheesy, but I, I mean it with earnest. It's pro, it's probably been since college. So I'm, I'm 45 now. And so college was, you know, 25 years ago. And I remember very distinctly in the hallway of my fraternity at one point, I, I had a conversation with uh, one of my good buddies who's still a friend to this day. And I thought he's a good dude. I want to be remembered as a good dude. I like that's it. Like now, that's obviously expanded into several domains. Uh, I want to be remembered as, you know, a good father, a good husband. I want to be remembered as somebody who tried as best he could to follow Jesus. You know, example. I want to know. I want people to know that I 
I did things the right way, honestly, transparently, consistently. So, you know, if my epitaph reads, you know, here lies Jake with Skirshin, he was a good guy to a lot of people. I think, I think that's pretty gratifying to me. And it sounds a little generic and broad basing, but, but I, it, with every interaction, I try to go in with my favorite word, which is intentionality. Know why you do what you do. Again, why emotional functioning is important to me, because if we're acting out of emotion, we don't have any logic and we don't really act with good intent and good purpose. So if I go in with intentionality saying, I want to help, I don't want to do harm. I want to be remembered as doing the right thing and being transparent and consistent. That's a pretty good guiding post for how I can conduct myself. So here lies Jake. He was a pretty good dude. That's that's pretty succinct to say the least. Well, Jake, unload us on, on us now, the, your links and resources and such, and I'll put them in the show notes for everybody. Yeah, the first one is our podcast called Guns and Mental Health. It's available wherever podcasts are found. And uh, recently we shifted away from Mike and I, we've had it for about three years now. Mike and I used to interview people from the firearms community who had interesting stories about mental illness or struggles or suicidal ideation, or they just had some some neat things to say. And we still do that from time to time. But now what we've done, because we've expanded our clinical base, we have four firearms owning practitioners who hosts the show. And we go through psychological concepts on each show to teach people what we all know and learn and practice. So that's really cool. And I think that uh, the feedback so far has been quite good. So D.B. Palmer, who's up in Oregon, um, he's got a doctoral degree. He's a professional counselor. Uh, Eddie Davenport, who's a social worker, clinical social work. He's almost done with his uh, internship or his associateship. He's in North Carolina. Uh, Brandon Covey, professional counselor in Ohio, and myself, we uh, we talk about cool counseling concepts, and we also have guests on. And one of those guests recently was Christian Conti, PhD, who is a friend and mentor of mine, and I'm going to recommend his book. His book is called Walking Through Anger, and it's about 18 bucks on Amazon. If you like audiobooks, then uh, I would recommend the audiobook because he reads it himself, and you get a little bonus material because he, he riffs at certain points, but Walking Through Anger, and it's it's less so about anger and more so about yield theory, which is a way of communicating more effectively with people. And it's digestible by any audience. So Walking Through Anger by Christian Conti, that's C-O-N-T-E. Uh, I have another podcast that I've hosted for about six years now called Noggin Notes. And Noggin Notes is straight mental health. And you can find that anywhere podcasts are found as well. And there are three of them. There's mine, which is the OG. And then there's Noggin Notes Cambodia and Noggin Notes Africa, because the founder of Noggin Notes, which is now a mental health consultation agency in Nam Phen, is from South Africa and he lives in Cambodia. So it's been pretty cool to walk that journey of international podcasting. Uh, and then finally, and perhaps most importantly, is uh, Zephyr Wellness, which is my company. You go to Z-E-P-H-Y-R Zephyr Wellness.org. And if you go there and you hover over the education drop-down menu and click on videos, you'll see the emotional functioning video series. If you get lost, you can just type it in the search engine. But my emotional functioning video series is just me in front of a whiteboard talking about how your brain works. Um, all of these resources, I think, are critical for not only learning how you work, learning how your mates and your people in your tribe and your community work and tick, but also they're non-threatening, arm's length, you can consume them anywhere. And I think that's what I'm really trying to do when we do YouTube videos and podcasts and we produce documents and we have free and anonymous screenings. What I'm trying to do is work myself out of a job. And I say that with all sincerity. If tomorrow mental illness went away in Northern Nevada and I had you know 11 more years on this lease in this building, I would be happy to convert it into literally any other business to pay the bills because everybody around me would be happy and healthy. And I wouldn't have to deal with my kids getting bullied on the playground or watching couples fight in the grocery store. Um, I, I, I'm not attached to my identity as a therapist. It's a job. And if the job ever is complete, then I will be glad to do any other work to pay my bills. So um, please try to consume as much as you can and learn as much as you can about yourself to stay the hell out of my clinic. Very good advice. And uh, I just pulled up Walking Through Anger on Amazon. And if you've got a Kindle, um, it's free as of today. Audiobook, uh, if you got a subscription there, it's free. Or it's $17.95 on uh, paperback. So not very expensive at all and very uh, worthwhile with your recommendation. Rob, if there's, uh, if I may, one more, uh, if there's uh, 
anybody listening who's interested in this too, a um, uh, book written by, we have a really nice partnership with the USCCA and uh, Holly Schneider, who is one of their staff therapists. USCCA is really cool. So USCCA Delta Defense, they actually hired two on staff therapists working full-time, just treating their employees. Holly Schneider wrote a book called Carry Your Own Backpack. It is also quite good. And uh, if you'd like to hear you know, a little bit from a, a different perspective, uh, sometimes women like to read from women too. I don't want to make this all about the dudes. Um, Holly Schneider's Carry Your Own Backpack. I'd like to give a plug to her. She's a wonderful human being as well. Great. And I will uh, take and put that link into the show notes also. Thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, Jake, great to have you on. I've got a feeling we'll probably have you and Mike on somewhere in the future because you guys are doing a great job of uh, taking the mistake away from mental health and helping the fire ministry as well as the uh, you know society as a whole see mental health not as uh, debilitating, but just something that we've got to treat like the common cold or as anything else, you know, there, you know, we, we're going to get it and there's ways of treating it. That is very true. And uh, the opening of the guns, mental health podcast, I say mental illness can and should be overcome. We just got to get people to believe that it's like any other physical ailment. It's not permanent. You weren't born with it. You didn't come out of the womb angry or whatever. Uh, so therefore you should be able to, to correct course and go back. So, um, I love it. Thank you for having me on. I love doing this stuff. Uh, the more information it gets out, the better. And um, yeah, appreciate it. Have a good one. Thanks, Jake. Later. That's a wrap for this episode. I hope you found the information Jake and I talked about interesting. So you got a little bit more background on mental health and what it is and what it isn't in a lot of cases. Remember, if you're searching for information to help your business, don't forget to use our website at www.firemtrainerpodcast.com and search in the upper right-hand corner on any topic you would like to find more information about. If you have questions or suggestions, email me at ftp at concealedcarry.com. Visit our sponsors, especially the Farm Trainers Association at ftaprotect.com and check out their instructor's insurance. Establishing your business was your first step. Now make sure you get the best insurance in the industry by going over to ftaprotect.com and using promo code FTP10 for 10% off on your policy. We bring this podcast support to the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America dedicates time and energy in to make gun owners more knowledgeable. Stay safe out there, everyone. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.